Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 148, episode 4 of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers, fuck Fox News, fuck Rush Limbaugh, fuck Buck Sexton, fuck Ben Shapiro, and fuck Tucker Carlson. It's Thursday, August 27th, 2020. My name's Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Hands. Don't go out. Don't touch me. Don't touch you. Please vote this time. Ba, ba, ba. Donald Trump is just no good. No good. No good. Please be inclined. Ba, ba, ba. Just go vote for something blue. Uh, that is courtesy of uh, Cat Hair at Jake the Human. <laughs> and I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray! I see a trend door and I want it painted black. No new trends anymore. I want them to turn black. I see the girls walk by masked in their COVID clothes. I have to turn my head until their sickness goes. I see a light. Okay, now we can keep going. We could. This is one of the lengthier AKAs I've got, and I almost <laughs> want to respect it because I actually, truth be told, I like the Eric Burden and War version of Painted Black the best, but this that's not the style of singing it in. But shout out to Rich Jefferson at Device Null and at Jeek. Apparently, it was a two-hander off the Discord. So thank you all for that inspired AK. It's always interesting when we have like a super respectable guest on the show. Right. Because <laughs> I really feel the awkwardness of our sung AKs and uh, my my laundry list of people who can go fuck themselves. Uh, <laughs> Immediately like, just, what? I'm just like, wait a second. What am I doing? Uh, <laughs> we are thrilled to be joined by the brilliant and talented Nithya Raman. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Welcome, thank, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. absolutely. For, for You know what, Zeitgang, for the listeners who are not in the LA area, okay, well, this is a fantastic guest because this is somebody who is taking it into their own hands to try and help affect change within the city in which they live and going up against a lot of special interests that are very heavily rooted in this city uh, and which seem to be uh, you know, the root cause of a lot of the issues we have with a lot of our citizens and our neighbors being left behind. So, Nithya, thank you so much for coming because I find you to be very inspiring as like a native Angelino. And even though you're not, in, I'm not, uh, would hopefully one day could be one of your constituents. I do not live in the district in which you are running for, but I wholeheartedly support you. And like your whole vision for the city is completely in line with our show. And I, I, I I'm just, it's, it's great to have people like you on. Oh, thank you so much. You know, honestly, you guys are dealing with the national environment and the national environment is so frustrating sometimes that I think I have in some ways a little bit easier. Like I get to deal with local stuff and change feels real here. It feels totally possible. Yeah. We've been talking kind of intermittently about how tired we are of just pointing out the problems and how much we want to, you know, give our listeners ideas for how to do something and, you know, have I come up with ideas of our own of how to do things. And it really seems getting involved locally. uh, We keep coming back to that as, as the thing that is tangible that you can do. 
So we're really excited. I, I feel like uh, what you're doing does speak to the national condition. Yeah. Um, yeah. As well. And yeah. I, somebody was asking me yesterday, like we for listeners who don't know about L.A. politics, it uh, has not been a place where a lot of people have even voted, never mind getting involved. Mm-hmm. And in our campaign, we've been really lucky to have tons of volunteers. I mean, people were out in the heat wave this past weekend dropping off bags of lit and things like that for the campaign in the heat, masked and gloved and everything. And yesterday I was on a call and someone said, how do you get so many volunteers? And I honestly think it's just a relief for Mm -hmm. people. Right. It's like they look at this national, what's happening at the national level, just the colossal failure on so many issues. And I think it's just, it's like, oh, I get to go have a conversation with my neighbor and tell them it can be better. Right. I mean, they're not doing that during COVID that, you know, unless it's over the phone, but. Right. Um. But it's yeah, it's it's an inc- it's it's a relief. It is a relief. Yeah. And yeah, I you know, I really encourage people to do it in their own places. And if you're in L.A., get involved with our campaign. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's the other thing, too, is that it's not it, like it's a relief. And it's also like this relief in from like what the tone of our politics are like you are. You're not like some big D Democrat like you run on. I've been saying this. You're like a person of purpose. You're not a politician. Right. You are being driven by a purpose. And I think that is what I think like the most universal language I think we've seen because suddenly people are like, yes, that's right. There are people who are, you know, need help and I'm in a position to help or we can do better or we can ask more of our officials. And that's really resonating versus like, we got to get Donald Trump out of here and Chuck Schumer should be running the Senate. It's like, no, 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 no. OK, that, that, that's one version of reality. But like here, the like in the vacation of it. Yeah, yeah, right. But yeah, like in this team. sense, I, you know, every from the second your name started bubbling up as like a candidate for CD4, I was like, this is this is the kinds of people like we yeah. this is the this is the tone of, that our politics needs to head in where it's it's really tied to the humanity and treating each other with dignity. Yeah. And I think like city po- for I'm an urban planner. I've done a lot of work on, you know, urban poverty issues and I don't want to run for anything else. This is my dream. This is part of my work that I've been doing in L.A. on urban poverty, on homelessness. This is like the next step in that. But I don't see it as a stepping stone to other things. Honestly, just because I I find that stuff just less interesting. Like, I mean, I love thinking about cities. I love talking about cities. I love working at the city level. But I think one of the problems that we have is that everyone is so cynical because they're all in it for 40 years. They're they're going from city council to assembly to state senate to Congress, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Even the person I'm running against a year after he got into this seat, he thought about running for Congress. It's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> like, let's do this job. This city matters. It should ma- it should be your biggest priority, you know. Right. I might like, have but my dad's baby. real estate, my dad's real estate empire is at stake, though. So I think this is the best way to help relieve the pressure <laughs> is if I get into <laughs> to the House of Representatives. I'm not going to add David Rue to the laundry list up top this episode because I don't want to put you in that position. But I think he might have to. You might have, have to, to go. join join the Tucker Carlson's. We're here for Nithia. You know what I mean? So, we're here for Nithia for sure. Even if we're not in the district, and I really encourage people. Like it's like the one bright light in LA politics at the moment. Thank so, you. You guys are so yeah. kind. I'm so happy to be here. No, I mean, just I'm I'm just as grateful to see people like, you know, this is you like, you know, your shit and you are saying, I know enough to do better. It looks like the people who can do better are either not interested or not able 
So what is going on? Because what I see is a lot of pain and suffering out there. And for whatever reason, these people are fine because they can, you know, turn their blinders onto the suffering in the streets and you couldn't. And right. that's really like the most, the, like one of the purest forms to like engage in and to, to, you know, be an ally for people who don't have any support. So yes, thank you. And, you know, I encourage anybody who like feels they they're looking at their own city or situation like this. Don't be bashful about it. Like if you right. have a vision and your heart is in the right place, it, like it, you damn sure better explore that yeah, because there are a lot of people there who don't care. Yeah. Can I say one thing to your listeners? I don't know what your demographics of your listeners are, but I, you know, I'm 39 now. When I was when I first ran or decided to run, I was 38 years old. It took me 38 years to step up. And mm. I just want to tell all your listeners, right. you don't have to wait that long, you know? Mm. Yeah. I hope you find the courage to do it before I did. It took me a long time just because I didn't see models for that in my own life necessarily. You right. know, I didn't see a lot of women of color who were uh, like me, who were in office and things like that. So it wasn't my thing. But I hope that young people get more excited about getting involved in politics and, yeah. and don't wait as long as I did, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can you can start rocking the boat as soon as as with the second you're 18. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm glad you're speaking the language of the kids. Rocking the boat. Uh, I said the good. boat. Wait, oh, what's rocking rock the, the boat? <laughs> hey, I like that though, Jack. Hold on, write I that like, down. Said, rock <laughs> the boat. Hey, kiddo, you can start rocking the boat as soon as you're Whoa, 18. Hey, okay. now I'm not mad at that, kids. Now you're speaking my language. Uh, yeah. If you just put a little guitar riff behind it, maybe we'd uh, get some people voting here. Am I right? Oh um, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's tell the what listeners. we need is mud honey to be the face of this campaign. <laughs> uh, all right, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment, Nithya. First, we're going to tell our listeners a few of the things we're talking about today. Uh, we are going to check in with the RNC. Uh, we are going to look at polling uh, that says that Trump's position is improving nationally. Uh, I'd actually, I'd love to get your uh, thoughts on polling, Nithya. We're going to talk about uh, the militarization of white supremacy in Wisconsin. A couple nights ago, we're going to talk about the CDC. We're going to talk about uh, how COVID is affecting the return to college uh, yeah. in schools like University of Alabama. All of that, plenty more. But first, Nithya, we like to ask our guests, what is something from your search history uh, that is revealing about who you are? Oh, boy. Um, I did look for the writer of Aaron Brockovich. Ah, ah the okay. screenplay. Yeah, it was like it's not, it wasn't. I'm like, is that a book? <laughs> <laughs> no, and because right. I was looking at movies, looking for movies recently, and mm-hmm. yeah. What about yeah. Aaron Brockovich? That you're like, I need. This is going to take some googling now. What 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 was sort of that pathway? Well, I. You guys told me that I was going to have to talk about something that was overrated and underrated. Is that uh, right? right? Right, yeah. Yes. Right. So my, you know, I, all I've been doing recently is watching things I've already watched before mm. because my mind is unable to process new things just because of the, I think, the immensity of everything that's happening in the world. I can only turn to the familiar, like, reruns of old TV shows, movies I've already seen. Yep. And so Aaron Brockovich was on that list. And I was like, well, who wrote this masterpiece? God. Yeah. Who is it? Who, Susanna Grant. I can't Susanna remember. Grant. Is it Susanna Grant? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had yeah. to look yeah. it up as well. Yeah. Um, that is truly a masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> great, great movie. She wrote well, Pocahontas. Damn. Wow. Interesting. Incredible. 20 Incredible. In Her Days. Shoes, Charlotte's Web. 
uh, okay. catch and release. All right, Susanna Grant. Yeah, yeah. Um, Aaron Brockovich also, it sounds like it could be a Russian novel, maybe. Except for the Aaron part, but the <laughs> Brockovich. Yeah, sounds it, like that it sounds like, like, yeah. Yeah. Spinoff uh, of the Americans. <laughs> that's right. Uh, what is something you think is overrated, Nithya? Well, so I've been on this old movie kick, and recently I watched Sleepless in Seattle, which is amazing, and I basically wept from the beginning of it till the end of it. It's so sweet, so beautiful. Mm. The structure of it is amazing. And then I watched You've Got Mail, thinking I would get more of the same, and I was sorely disappointed. Right. Oh, that's also Nora Ephron, right? Yes. Yeah. Both are, yeah. Both it was Nora the follow-up. It yeah. was yeah. the big... Uh... Giving you, giving, giving the people what they want. I mean, that was all, it's so confusing. Like when you actually think of like what Meg Ryan's arc is as a business owner and her relationship to Tom Hanks and like the Fox Empire and Senate, it's like, yeah, you know what, dude? I don't care if you're like edging me out. I, I love you. Right. Yeah, that's true. The whole I'm like, this is man like- is coming <laughs> for your business. <clears throat> You've already identified Fox Books as the right. destroyer of independent bookstores and now- even though there's all this subterfuge, you still love him. Oh. And he lies to her. Yeah, constantly. Yeah. It's like the he whole lies time, to her. He knows. I mean, yes, like the capitalism issues, the issues with the business politics of it are really weird. Right. right. Hi, but I'm think- Jim Barnes and Noble, and <laughs> I would like to put your- Why does this little boy keep spelling Fox in front of me? F-O-X. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, man. I can't know where it's part of Fox Books. It's like- <laughs> And then also, like, the dad has, like, all the wild, young, like, partners and things. It's the whole thing. I was like, wow, this is the something else. The whole thing is so creepy. Is yeah, but then, but I think the more the more troubling thing is that he lies to her for the entire movie or for, right. Right. you know, and then based- she's like, okay, cool. Yes, I'm very into this. <laughs> right. That was, like, always the turn. I wanted it to be you. That part where she says, I wanted it to be you, like, that sticks in my mind because I always remember, like, my stomach sinking a little bit and just being like, why? Yeah. Well, also, let's um, not forget a stellar performance by Dave Chappelle as like the, the confidant yeah. friend of his. Too. Like, <laughs> Dave Chappelle, what is? I watched it. I think recently, like in the last two years or something, because I was sort of on a similar kick of like just kind of regressing and watching these '90s rom coms, and mm-hmm. I was just like, after like, and Greg Kinnear was didn't he suck? Didn't his wasn't his character weird too? In that, I just remember not being very. Uh, moved by anyone on second viewing so yeah i mean even in sleepless in seattle there was some weird politics around the partners that they had like right who i forget who was the guy who played her partner meg ryan's partner that she amicably said bill pullman right yeah and his like fatal flaw was that he had a lot of allergies (laughs) dork (laughs) all right dork get out of here all right (laughs) (laughs) like she introduces him to her family and he sneezes and you're like oh this is uh, fated to end. Right. What, <laughs> what a loser. loser. What a loser. It's like, and like okay. he's too nice. That's his other thing. Like at the yeah. end, she's like, I got to go see about this guy I've never met. And he's like, do it. I want this for you. Uh, yeah. It's wild. Oh, I, I didn't realize you got mail is based on a book called The Parfumery. Yeah. Oh. It's so also that- funny that it's just like that very edge of the internet being discovered type of yeah. like optimism that this is all going to be great. Uh, anonymity on <laughs> in personal cool. relationships is going to be great and it will in no way lead to uh, men being horrifying to women and lying to them and stalking them. So uh, that should be uh, a fun premise for a rom-com. 
Yeah. <laughs> this guy's gaslighting this woman, man. Yeah. All the while her her whole entire business is at stake and he's the guy destroying it. And he gets her in the end. That's how yes. good this story is for the guy. You're gonna love this. But it makes sense that that was the most successful of the Nora Ephron movies because it is like America wins in the end. Like the version of America that people had in the nineties wins. Right. Uh, you know, big corporation is lovable and Tom Hanks. By the way, shout out to uh, Gabby Hoffman, the actress from a bunch of great stuff. I didn't realize she's the little girl in Sleepless in Seattle. Yes, I was very delighted to see her face. She's, she's so, so good. good. She's yeah. so good. Yeah, to start somewhere. She's yeah, so yeah. good. She's such a talented actress. And I know, already. That role was awesome. I know. Yeah. She's born, <laughs> born for this. She was yes. amazing. Uh, yes. What is something you think is underrated? Uh, well, the, yeah, the thing I think is most underrated in the world is soup. I love soup. Wow. What is yes. it with people Two who, days in a row. But Somebody said that, soup people yesterday? Who, people who are, who are like politicians at the municipal level. We had a- <laughs> That's uh, right. Someone from <laughs> a, the city of Athens, trend. Georgia. Right. She- Lingua Franca. Lingua Franca. Uh, she had her exacting with soup too. I'm like, yo, this is like the wisest food then. Like the people who are getting active and involved, it's like the new Gatorade. It's like yeah. soup. It's very practical, you know? Right. I want to be, I want to be like Mariah Parker. <laughs> that I feel, well, I feel unoriginal having had no, not soup. No, it's well, very trust original. Me, they weren't the first person to say soup either, but I'm always, it's just this overlap of like, Younger people getting involved in the office at the city level and like they, their love of soup. I'm well, just feeling yeah. it right and now. I would, yeah, and that, you know, we already talked about how important it is to get involved locally, but I feel like that is underrated too. But soup is more important, I think, sometimes. What, what is your favorite soup? Oh my God. It's, oh, I, I can't, I love soup so much. There's like categories of favorites, yeah. okay. you know, okay. like, like yeah, I, which. Rap albums, your favorite, Jack. Come yeah, on. you can't. Right, you can't, you can't say five. it. You know, yeah. like, like, right. what's your favorite noodle soup? Would be a better question. Okay, then okay. I'm going to ask you that. Top what's noodle your favorite? soup. Okay, so COVID favorite, current COVID favorite for noodle soup is there's a soup from India called Maggie. It's like a Maggie ram, a ramen packet, and we make it at home now. It's like our easy COVID dinner. And you doctor it. So you like make the soup and then you add all kinds of toppings, like whatever vegetables we have in the house. We add mm. uh, a fried egg on top and it is the best meal, the best. Mm. So that's Ooh. my current favorite okay. noodle soup. And if the world was out there and the restaurants you were able to patron, you'd be a patron at, where, where, where is this? What's a soup you've been thinking about? Oh, there's two soups that I love. One is um, the w there's a Thai restaurant in Silver Lake called Night and Market Song. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. And uh, and that has a really good noodle soup, curry noodle soup, which is incredible. Yeah. And then the other one is a restaurant called Aulak, which is in downtown LA. It's a vegan restaurant, and a lot of their foods are raw, and they make this raw. Uh, raw soup, which is called, I think it's called, it has like spirulina in it. It has, it's just the most incredible. I've never tasted anything like it. Wow. It's so good. Damn. Yeah. That sounds good. Uh, and finally, what is a myth? What's something people think is true you know to be false? Okay. Well, here, uh, can I say something serious for this one? Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Please. Okay. Well, um, so one of the questions I get most in my campaign is about uh, unhoused people, about people experiencing homelessness. And a lot of people say, oh, I hear from folks that 
or, or I think a lot of people who are homeless don't want a house that they right. are that they are quote unquote service resistant, which is a mm-hmm. term that you hear in the papers and said that they don't want services that they don't want to get into a shelter bed that they don't want to get in. And I feel like that that is the biggest myth that we hear on the campaign trail. And I'm always talking about ways in which I can prove to you that that's wrong and that if we actually made beds available, if we made housing available, if we made sure people were able to stay in their house, we would not be in the situation that we're in in Los Angeles. This is not about resistance. This is about lack of provision of services and of tenant protections. That's it. Is that myth kind of born out of like a very narrow thing and then that sort of became the overarching theme in terms of like how the unhoused communities are looked at? Or is it a, is it just a very disingenuous attack from like the people who are like the NIMBY folks or, I d- you know? No, and I, you know, I, I don't think so. Or for the most part, I don't think so. I think, right. of course, there's always people who are, you know, saying this in bad faith. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, people have just seen a homelessness crisis that has only grown right in there in especially in the last few years right like our mm-hmm. unhoused population here in LA has gone up by 78% since 2013 yeah jesus right it's just like staggering the amount of growth and i think people see um individuals living in encampments in their neighborhood that they've seen for years and they just get into this thing of oh, okay well they don't want to go inside you know i'm sure yeah. that i'm paying all these taxes for homeless services, they must be getting the help that they need. And they're saying no, when right. in reality, that's so not the case. Yeah. And, you know, one fact I always share with people, which I feel like really, really makes people step back is, you know, New York City has a larger population of of people who are homeless. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many fewer people who live on the streets because they have the the number of shelter beds that they need for every person experiencing homelessness in New York. That's wow. part of a court case that was in the city of New York that forces them to do that. And so because of that, you just see much less visible homelessness. Right. And so when you tell people that, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. And L.A. has less than a quarter of the shelter beds that we need. So a big part of why people are on the streets and continue to be on the streets is because they don't have a place to go. Mm-hmm. And so I think that really it, it really helps to open up the conversation about not about anger towards people who are living on the streets, but anger towards the city that's done wrong by them, Absolutely. of course, but by all of us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so uh, deeply American to blame the individual rather than the system. Like, that just seems to be the way, the story that uh, Americans want to tell ourselves. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah. sort of like the worst rhetorical habit we have when engaging in an issue like that. It's right. it's almost like yeah. it's never like the f- normal. You'd be like, yeah, well, what's wrong with them? And Ben, like, right. what is the conditions in which this occurred? Right. Because right. that is actually more important than, hey, what's your story? Do you like living on the street? No, there's a, there's a whole path that got there. They got there and a number of failures occurred along the way to end up there. And I think, yeah, we just have this lack of wanting to like say our parents are shitty or something that like that the politicians or the country could be better and then it's better to be like well it's got to be them because i'm doing okay and so that's it's not the system because i'm and, okay in it yeah and i just want to say one thing about americans which is this is not an immutable fact about americans right? right because the campaign has been so successful at pushing back on that and i feel like people want to push back on that right they yeah. want to believe the best about other humans and i think they want to be able to respond to this issue and every other issue with 
with compassion. Most people do. Yeah. And I think if you tell them we have failed in providing evidence-based, compassionate solutions here in Los Angeles, but we can. Right. They're like, oh, yes. Okay, perfect. Let's do that. You know, they don't yeah. want to be, they don't, I don't, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe that most people felt that way, you know? Right. Yeah. I feel like we've seen things metastasize, like seen some of these beliefs that have been kind of core to the American ethos just metastasize so badly. And also there's sort of a disconnect with younger people and, you know, millennials and Gen Z that I, I am really hopeful that that is going to be a relic of of the past, that that idea of like individualism and yeah. the idea that socialism is like a, a bad word. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. And uh, let's check in with the RNC. Uh, media loves them some Melania. Uh, they were. I mean, look, I, look, pick your poison. It was either people were either talking about the numerous Hatch Act violations mm. <laughs> or Melania Trump. Uh, the, it's so I, I can't believe how badly the mainstream media wants to like Melania Trump. Like, it's so bizarre to me because on one hand, I think we all remember her. I don't care. Really like trench coat that she wore when she was going to the border. Um, but yet when she goes and makes a speech and just because there weren't any racial slurs or plagiarism. That suddenly we're like, oh, yes, we found the moral center, the moral heartbeat of this country. Uh, it was really surreal um, because it, it truly everything she said was quite ab- like absolutely the bare minimum of what yeah. you could say as someone who's in a position of power amidst a pandemic when hundreds of thousands of lives are being lost. Right. I, I wonder. And, and the other thing was the flagrant uh, Hatch Act violations. I just. It seems like this is a feature of their plan and not a bug, right? Like this is the idea is to break the law in a way that is distracting and gets the media outraged because trolling the media is the whole game now, I feel like. Sure. I mean, yeah, the, the, the you know, um, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff said he's like, you know, honestly, nobody outside the Beltway cares about the Hatch Act. Like, really, it's really nothing. It's 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 a non-issue. And really, the, the whole idea behind the Hatch Act is that you are not allowed to use government resources in like a partisan political campaign or election context. Like that's what you have a campaign fundraising arm for. So you're not using taxpayer money to boost your chances at reelection. That's the whole point here. Or using your position in office to help an, you know, an uh, elected official or someone who's running. So, yeah, but again... I guess because the Trump thing has, they're trying to make it be like, no one cares, you see? It's like, no, 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 because that's the slippery slope you want to go down where no one cares and you can begin to blur these lines of like, well, what's actually, you know, how is this system being taken advantage of and how is it not? Right. Um, Sometimes I feel like the media does, plays both sides of this too. You know, mm -hmm. like they get really upset about the Hatch Act but then they also complain that they can't write about the Hatch Act because we don't care about the Hatch Act and violations. Right. And, you know, so sometimes I'm, I get a little bit frustrated, too, watching all of this because I think, well, make us care. Tell us why this is important. Tell us yeah. why the stakes are high. You know, right. 
Yeah. We're like, oh, absolutely. that's that's the old school media. We're not we just kind of tell you what happened these days. Mm. <laughs> I could go that far to help you. Yeah, don't do that right now. That's not the time for that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really frustrating. And then on top of that, you had Mike Pompeo literally beaming in from Israel uh, to give his speech about how King Trump has won the ISIS war and, you know, loved Kim Jong-un so hard he may be in a coma right now. They, like it, the whole <laughs> thing was so hollow. And I keep using that word because it's really just these empty sort of bullet point checklist thing they go down. And when you think about it, you're like, I don't work for Raytheon. Like that de- <laughs> that accomplishment doesn't help me. I'm not an arms dealer. I'm not part of the military industrial complex or the prison industrial complex. I don't benefit from these like reforms, quote unquote. But again, it's just to get this drum going of like, this is the leader. Don't worry about how bad the last four years are because he's macho. And it's yeah. That, but I guess it's it seems to be their their whole entire strategy now. So that that brings us to some recent polling, both like some specific polls that came out, but also just uh, polling averages that five thirty eight you know uses that that suggest Trump's position is improving, that Biden didn't really get a convention bounce, and that now it's a closer race. And I find myself like unhealthily addicted to checking this shit. But Nithya, as somebody who's actively running, like how what how do you think about polls? Well, so uh, you know, in the primary, we couldn't really even afford polling, so we had right. no we had no polls, right? Right. I know the person I'm running against did some polls, but a lot of the polling that's done at in in races, you know, obviously at the at the at the federal level, it's really different, but at the local level, it's about messaging. Mm. Right. It's about what lands with what audience. So should I be talking about this issue in this way? So you're actually polling not an outcome, but what your policies should be. Got and it. so for me, it's like. To me, polls are really unhelpful because if you're running because you want to change things, if you're running because you want to see particular policies put out into the. Into the world. Right. That's what you should be focusing on. Right. And right. and uh, and I do think that talking about the issues like talking about this horse race between Trump and Biden, like what if we just kept talking about the fact that we're not getting that six hundred dollars anymore, that expanded mm. UI? Right. Yeah. Wouldn't we just win? the? Wouldn't the Democrats just win the election? <laughs> right. We're like, we're going to win. We're going to give you six hundred dollars if we win. Right. Like Trump had his shot and he actually knocked that benefit down. So he took it away from bring you. It back exactly. up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's just like, who who cares about these numbers? I, I don't know. That's but that's just well, how. But I think that's the difference in, between this new generation of politicians who are entering, which is, again, most old school. Like when I was working in politics, you would look at polls and be like, you would say something like, well, the, you know, uh, Affordable Care Act isn't polling well. Like maybe we need to we need to change tack based on all this research we're doing. But it's again, you're if you're being dissuaded by the polling, now you've completely lost your sense of purpose, which is uh, give the people the ability to have insu- uh, health insurance they can afford. Um, and yeah, there there are moments where we find ourselves being like, at the end of the day, sometimes the intent really has to sort of be the overarching theme. But again, with this polling, it's to your point of like it helps you f- dial in your messaging. I think it's clear what the Trump uh, campaign is seeing is that like. Hey man, let's just go pedal the metal, white supremacy, xenophobia, every phobia out there. 
Because that seems, depending on the audience, I'll talk to suburban housewives in this way. I will talk to working people this way. But it seems like it's all coming from the same putrid buffet. Yeah. Putrid buffet. I love that. (laughs) My favorite favorite kind of buffet. (laughs) And they're going for seconds. And they're going for thirds now. Yeah. Um, Eventually. All right. Let's talk about Wisconsin. You know, we, we've talked before on, on this show about this sort of fantasy of, you know, protect your property with firearms. You know, they'll, they'll even go out of their way to uh, make fake memes that suggest looting is a problem after hurricanes, as we talked about. The media will focus specifically on any uh, property damage that happens during peaceful protests because then you don't have to talk about white supremacy. Uh, then you don't have to talk about white supremacy. And it seems to have killed two people in Wisconsin last night. There were reports of armed civilians, like armed militia, who explicitly showed up to protect, you know, like gas stations uh, in their in their neighborhoods. And one of them started shooting protesters. Um, it was captured on on video. The person is jogging down the middle of the street with a assault rifle. And people are trying, he had apparently at that point had uh, shot someone and been heard on his phone saying, I just killed someone. Uh, Then he's jogging down the street. People come up, try and disarm him. He shoots them uh, and then runs up to the police with his hands up. And it's like, they're, they're like, what are you doing, man? You're good. You you can go along. Waved him off, walked off into the night and it wasn't apprehended. Um. The contrast, you know, like within that city, you have a black man with no gun with his back turned right. and he gets shot seven times, you know, he's now we find out he survived, but he may not be able to walk. Um, and you have somebody out here just straight up killing people and the just could walk right through the police with protesters saying that man just shot someone. That guy with the gun shot someone and he can just yeah. take off like Kaiser Sose. It's, I mean, you know, it, it really is. This is just this really morbid rhythm of this country. So and, horrifying. Yeah, and it keeps intensifying, you know. And it's, of course, we there. There's this like nonstop drumbeat, especially if you're like a on the right wing of like these people are coming to tear the cities down, and all they can do is just narrowly use this footage of people outraged, not because they're there to tear your city down but because of generations of mistreatment is now manifesting into these protests and these uprisings and things like that. And it's just used to sort of, to your point, Jack, just do this thing where the one context where Americans are like, well, I can shoot anybody if it's in the private property. Like I can use my private property defense. And that is like that one arena that is really this weird thing where there's people on top of their businesses. The cops are like, Hey, like, you have guns up there. Get inside. What are you doing? And they're like, officer, this is our business. And the cops are like, okay, carry on then. Right. Like, w- what did that? So, what? you know, it's a really terrible cycle. Nithya, for you, and I've heard you speak about this, and especially like when a city like L.A. that is just giving the cash away to the sheriff's department and the police department, um, you know, the whole idea of the defund the police, it's it. it had a, a sort of a moment where people were sincerely engaging with this discourse, this idea of how to actually better fund our communities. Yeah. But, um, 
you know, looking at this and seeing like what the essentially the kind of climate you'd be walking into as a city council member, uh, you know, what do you think are sort of like the highest priority in terms of sort of like this de-escalation with a police force that just brutalizes the poor and, you know, non-white? Well, you know, one thing I want to say is that we we don't have we, we're not seeing, at least in L.A., this kind of paramilitary force or, you know, this kind of thing. So I think it's a very different situation here. But for me, a big part of thinking about policing here in Los Angeles is is thinking about how our police are doing things that they were never supposed to be doing. So here in L.A., a lot of what is the primary interaction between, for example, our unhoused population and our city ends up being the police. Uh, and that's how we set up the system to function. In fact, when I worked at City Hall briefly a few few years ago, um, I found that almost 90 percent of the spending that we were doing on homelessness at the time was spent on putting unhoused people in jail, right, instead of actually providing people care. Mm-hmm. And that we had created a system through which LAPD was our always our first responders for homelessness, even when there was no violence. In fact, most of the time, it's not a violent call for service. Um, mm. And that's not just true related to homelessness. That's true right. across police calls for service, not just in L.A., but across the country. And yet in response to these calls for service, we were always sending police who were not trained to address the root cause of why someone would be drinking in public or having a shopping cart or would, or would have a tent up during the day, which is that they don't have a home. Right. And so if we had set up a system through which we were actually sending people out who were trained to do outreach, to do homelessness response, to do any of that stuff, then we would have a very, very different system here in Los Angeles. And, you know, I think we would we wouldn't need this the police to take up so much of our budget because we would be spending on systems of care that actually address the root cause of the issues for which people were calling the police about. Yeah. So I think that's really the priority in LA going forward. Because what's the statistic in the county of actual like sort of crisis intervention, social worker type people we have that we can send to calls like that? Isn't it something like (laughs) under 20 or something like that? Well, so when I worked at the city, we had invested in a total of 19 outreach workers for the entire city and county together, right? And that's to do sort of the work you're talking about is to say, yes, like, rather than yes. sending a police officer, call this person who can approach them, understand the human being they're dealing with rather than the nuisance or guy who's drunk in my alley or whatever right. to actually address that. 19. Right. Yeah. And and I think now we have more, but mm-hmm. we still have a system that's primarily oriented around punishment and policing as opposed to care. And I think yeah. we can really push it in a much better direction. Um, and at... and we should. I mean, it's not just a it's not just about a moral issue. It's also like this is what is going to work to end homelessness. Yeah, it's efficient. Know? Right. Yeah. When you look at specifically the Jacob Blake incident where he had stopped to try to de-escalate a conflict between two people and then the cops came in and somebody ended up getting shot seven times. That de-escalation, that like, you know, acting as a mediator in your own community, like that, that's what we should be trying to have people like have resources that can do that as opposed to calling somebody with a gun to come in and, 
you know, cause absolute havoc and end up, you know, trying to murder somebody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's take uh, another break and we'll be right back. And we're back. And it's time to check in with that whole COVID thing, uh, the the global pandemic. Do you remember that story from I a couple weeks ago? Do was that before or after Hunter Biden and Ukrainian one? I get so, <laughs> all of the things that they they tell right. me on the on Fox. I get it's so confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, uh, it's it's pretty clear. I think all, all the common or all the accepted research around it is that you know. <laughs> If people with, who can get COVID-19, it can cause completely asymptomatic infections. There are people right. who can have it, carry it, and do not have any symptoms. And they actually, and they can spread it to other people. And some people can still spread before they show symptoms. So pre-symptomatic transmission is also a just studied phenomenon, a proven thing about COVID. And a lot of the modeling uh, that we've seen says that like pre-symptomatic transmission could in fact be half or even more of a lot of the spread that's happening. So when the CDC comes out and says that they are no longer essentially uh, recommending that people who have been maybe possibly exposed to COVID but aren't showing symptoms, actually, you don't need to get tested, it turns out. If you don't have symptoms and you may have been exposed and you're not showing symptoms, don't worry about it. They changed it. And on August 22nd, this is what the CDC website said. It said, quote, testing is recommended for all close contacts of persons with SARS-CoV-2 infection. Uh, because of the potential for asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic transmission, it is important that contacts of individuals with SARS-CoV-2 infection be quickly identified and tested. Right. Suddenly, they've completely scrapped that. All that language is gone. And everyone's is it like, because it's just they're giving up on containment or are they just they well, just want their numbers to be in a better position heading into the election? I, I think a lot of people have there are some people have said, look, this is clearly coming from the president. You know what mm. I mean? There's no, why would people, people of, I mean, prior to this, the CDC, you could bet that they were, you know, learned people of science who would be, let their research guide what their decision making is. But because this slowdown of the government, because they're unwilling to actually address the situation and their thing is like, let's just like get rid of all the testing stuff so people can at least go out for a little bit. The economy can like get a quick jump and then we'll probably have to shut shit back down. Um, but with this, you know, the uh, one of the administrators at uh, Health and Human Services, uh, they were like, why are you telling us about the CDC's like recommendations? And they were just saying, like, look, it's not it's this it's just the this all of this decision came from public health experts, it's the CDC. Um, and there was no direction from the president, the vice president or any other administration official. And I, I think a lot of people are having a really hard time believing mm. that um, because it's not even like saying. That, you know, the the sort of very narrow logic is that they're the reason that they didn't want to have testing for, for people with uh, without symptoms was so that way they didn't avoid testing too early after an exposure. That way there could be a, a negative result before the infection actually had enough time to develop, et cetera, et cetera. But either right. way, just continue testing no matter what is just a, should be a feature of how we get a handle on this, the, the spread of this illness. Um, and yeah, again, they haven't really even established what a timeline would look like for asymptomatic testing after an exposure. And they're kind of also just leave that language like, well, you know, if your city or your state or local county like needs it, then I guess you can test. But like we're just saying, you know, it's up to you. Hmm. 
Cool. Yes. Well, <laughs> what perfect timing because now we're opening schools. So, uh, perfect timing to not test people who have been exposed to uh, the disease, so that we can just let uh, let that spread, let the disease spread asymptomatically among a uh, age group who is most likely to, you know, have it without showing symptoms. Right. I feel like here, you know, here in LA, even I feel like, you know, California did better with this stuff. You know, you you read this stuff from the CDC and you think, oh my gosh, is the Trump administration interfering with CDC advice? But even in LA, I feel like we've had changes in guidance being given to us, changes in the reopening schedule, changes in how we you know what what we're supposed to be doing with really no acknowledgement of the fact that we this is what we thought before here's what led us to make these changes right. and here's how we can operate under our better information going forward in ways that make more sense and i feel like if at every level of government i mean of course the federal government you know i don't even know what there but at every level of government i feel like this same kind of uh it feels like we're being gaslit sometimes with the instructions that we're getting about about COVID mm-hmm. and about what we're supposed to be doing. And I feel like if they were just a little bit more transparent with us about here's how things have changed. Here's what yeah. here's the new advice that we have for you. Right. Yeah. Because it goes to just like very like bulletin like and here are your instructions going forward. It's like. Yeah. Like, wait, but this is disruptive to me, and you're not even telling me how we arrived there. Right. And yesterday was the complete opposite of that. And yeah, it, it is just for the benefit of the people's long-term faith in science, you know? So because I think if you're not really willing to engage with what's happening and things are fluid because we're dealing with some, an illness we've never seen before and it's it's like happening in real time, a lot of people just think like, well, what would the doctors say? And right. now they're saying this? Well, what? which one is it? And I right. think, yeah, by not explaining and things like that, you allow to just be like, okay, I understand that was different than last time, but this is how this is working. We found this out and that's we're adapting because we're being proactive about this. Yeah, it really does have this, uh, it can be it can be really, really frustrating. And I think, yeah, w- looking at the colleges now, it's just like a whole, they're dealing with like, just like, you know, uh, the exuberance of youth mm-hmm. uh, and like the nihilism of people spending this money to get an education to enter an economy where it's like, what do I do with this degree now? Like, <laughs> is there a job for me? Like, what am I doing here again? Eh, yeah. Let's just party. Let's just party. I, I don't know. Perfect combination I mean, honestly, of energy and lack of perspective. Yeah. No, it College. really is. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. So right now with this whole push to go back to whatever normal is, or just to get the economy looking a certain way, uh, you know, we're seeing all kinds of school university reopenings. Um, at the University of Alabama, uh, they reopened on August 19th, and they said, according to their own university's COVID dashboard, there have been 531 corona cases since they opened. 531. And that's, that's like from self-reported results. That's from like the infirmary or whatever the school health office is. That's what they're dealing with already. Uh, and I can only imagine what similar schools look like that haven't actually put in, you know, take the time to actually think these things through. There's a Daily Beast article just sort of kind of giving, looking at a few different schools and what sort of culturally is happening on campus. Um, Mariah Parker, who we had on, uh, she she was telling us about UGA. There's another thing about UGA uh, there saying that like on Twitter, students are posting like screenshots from student groups 
And you can tell like there's a lot of misinformation and anti-masker stuff going on even within the students. There's one comment read, quote, no need for masks uh, when you're six feet away or at all. But hey, if it helps your psyche, wear a hazmat suit. Mm. That's one. Uh, This is another one, which is, I think, one of the most dangerous fucking comments they could have had in there. Media way over exaggerates numbers. The number that matters most is that 99.9% of people recover from COVID. People being out of work, the fear of and anxiousness that is running rampant is far more damaged than this virus. Don't live in fear, folks. It's not healthy. 99.9. Remember that number. I mean, that's an absolute right wing talking point. But again, a lot of younger people seem to be also catching on to that because it might not be reflected in their reality, seeing what the devastation is of COVID. Yeah, that's like just hearing that is a very specific feeling of helplessness that I'm I'm experiencing a lot on social media when it's not usually uh, people that I'm encountering, but uh, people that people I know are encountering and, you know, uh, posts that are getting spread. It's like, oh, I see why this is effective. Like, I understand why you want to believe that and why that has the ring of truth. But it's just mm-hmm. I I don't know how to counter it. Like, I don't know. Do we just end internet? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah, like, what I'm, to do. I mean, I think. But the thing is, I mean, you know, these talking points are like, you know, like the whole thing of the idea of like the, you know, shutting down the economy is causing way more damage. That's not coming from a student who's looking at, you know, he's that's some that's like a talking point that, you know, the business owning class helps formulate to be able to like sort of wrap your head like no one is like the economy. Oh, my goodness. We're not right. we're not College that's students. not our vested interest. Right. The people who are yes to them because the workers are not there to create the revenue for them. And they're saying, oh, that's the damage to me. But I'll let you, you know, you'll build a parasocial relationship with the billionaire class and then uh, you'll stand with me and say it's messing up the economy. Uh, so but again, you, we even think as people are younger, it's like, well, there's no way they're like they're they got to be smarter. But, you know, at the end of the day, like there's also this feeling too, like you understand there's a sense of nihilism for that generation as well, where they're looking at whatever their future prospects are. and probably like, I don't know, like, is it, it it seems bleak possibly too? like what what what's going on? Right. Yeah. There was another uh, sort of <laughs> uh, anecdote from. Uh, University of Chapel Hill and it was like this person got like the most predictable Gen Z response of like trying to be like a like a person of authority um there was like a a party at at Chapel Hill and like right after like there was an outbreak going into the school year and there was I guess a sorority that they were just going like house party to house party and like one of the like house moms of a fraternity basically said that when she had approached some of the students like to be like, hey, uh, you know, please like remember to social distance or wear a mask. They called her a quote boomer and a quote bitch. <laughs> cool. That's Great. the fucking like they okay boomered this person who I'm I don't know what generation they're in, but like they that was just like their response. Like, I'm looking, please consider the safety of other people. Like, yeah, all right, fucking boomer asshole. Like, I'm gonna party. <laughs> It makes it it makes it very like you you realize, too, like that really is the attitude uh, of someone sort of you'd think that it would be received a little bit better than that. But Mm. we don't know. We don't know what the interaction was. I feel like we're asking kids to do the right thing. Right. And we should 
Yeah, like yeah, University right. of Alabama should be doing the right thing. UNC Chapel Hill should be doing the right thing. That's not being governed by right. a bunch what? of 18-year-olds who yeah. are really, really excited to party. But they right. know that they're coming. <laughs> right. right, exactly. <laughs> like when and you I'll... open up UNC Chapel Hill, you know who's coming there. Right. right. It's not the uh, like stay at home and let's play Settlers of Catan crowd. It's <laughs> like, no, dude, you're, you're in college. You want to get you want to get litty. But the thing, too, is a lot of the students have been saying that exact point is that Yes, while there are students partying, why don't why, talk about the school that had no regulations in place, knowing yeah. you have party hungry kids who have been like cooped up at home over the summer or like even before that, maybe they're entering their first year of school or whatever. And yeah, they're going to be coming in there with a lot of energy that you're going to have to figure out how to like maneuver or redirect. But when your plan is just sort of like, I don't know, half online classes and half in person and you can wear a mask if you want. That's enough. It's yeah, it really is. It's a it's a bad, bad faith argument against the students. Mm. Uh, all right. Let's talk le- uh, West Wing uh, <laughs> because the West Wing is having a reunion for some reason. Uh, they when did are that gonna... show get end? When did that end? Uh, 90s, I think. Wasn't oh, it? no, no. Maybe a little bit. After. No, after that, because they there was 2006. Like a... 2006 okay yeah yeah so this is like held up by people who are you know on the big d democrat side of things the establishment democrat side of things as like the peak of western culture i think in a lot of cases um and cast reunions are big things right now so we're getting a west wing reunion uh where the cast will restage an old episode with new original material uh, written by the Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin, uh, all in service of a When We All Vote charity, which voting is good. No no complaints there. But were you guys fans of The West Wing? I like kind of watched an episode here and there. I, I was never that into it. I was never uh, converted to the, the religion of President Bartlett. Uh, I actually just watched The West Wing during the primary of this campaign. Oh, really? Oh, first, nice. Yeah, for the first time. It was part of the whole, like, I can only watch things that I'm really familiar with already. I can't watch Oh, anything. right, right, right. Was it uh, instructional? Do you do you credit the West Wing with uh, your successful uh, taking it to a runoff? No, I think it was just, you know, it felt like simpler times. Right. It felt like simpler times, you know? It Truly. was just, it was comforting. Right. I didn't get into it. I just, I don't know, my head wasn't in that place. I was like, I don't care about like politicians right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's weird because when I was, a few of my coworkers, when I was working in politics, loved the shit out of the West Wing. Like right. it was their fucking like Beatles. You know what I mean? And <laughs> right. I was like, I don't, and I was like, you gotta dig it. Like you gotta watch it. And I get, I think, I, I just, at whatever episode I saw, I was like so confused. And I'm like, yeah, this, this for whatever reason is not quite speaking to me, but I get you know people. It's uh, you know gave us Bradley Whitford, huh? Who would have hey. voted for Obama a third term? <laughs> <laughs> that is such good casting. Yeah, apparently uh, they were originally hoping to cast Sidney Poitier uh, to play the president, and then what? Uh, yeah, and then okay. the first episode ended up having not a single black character. By the time it made it to air, so I had no times. idea. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. I really um, will. Uh, yeah. Because I just saw, I like every photo I see, there's like this one like black man I see in the photo. And I don't know what his character was, uh, but the actor is Dulé Hill. And I was yeah. like, what was his character? What was his character? His character was uh, the president's body man. He took care of the president's problems and bad Like a man valet? Uh, I think he more like Michael Clayton. He would like solve the problems in a in a way. Oh, like what's that? Uh, what's the dude on uh, Kevin Spacey's show? Uh, Doug, like Doug. I don't. I don't. I don't watch Kevin Spacey. All right. Shows. Well, yeah. Well, that was an old. That was that was way back then. <laughs> but yeah. I, okay. So he was. Is is there an actual position for that? Like, I'm looking right now. Oh, personal presidential aide and deputy special assistant to the chief of staff. Okay. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's like he is unofficially like he's more of a Michael Cohen, maybe. I don't know. I I never watched the show. Nithya, is that is that accurate? Uh, yeah, it's like he was like he's like a PA. Oh, okay. Who's Got more it. like a not like a problem solver, but like okay, the president's schedule is like he's got to leave this meeting. Excuse me, and you know ushers oh. him along, make sure oh. that he travels with him all the time. He. Mm-hmm. Make sure that he is meeting both his personal obligations and his professional obligations. He's kind of like the Tony like, oh, Hale character in Veep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's 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 I think right. Um, at least that's how he was on the show, and then he moves over to CJ's office to work in in comms and press. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's also the issue of, you know, this was happening during the Bush administration and uh they there's a war with a fictional Middle Eastern country called Kumar, Kumar, uh oh that is like a cartoonishly evil melting pot of Islamophobic stereotypes and yeah, just kind of that was their way of dealing with that whole 9/11 thing. What would we do to if like if this was like helping to be a salve for liberals during the Bush administration? What's the like how how do you do the 2020 version of something like this? Or like how about this alternate leader thing? And would it just be completely slaps? Do you think we would still treat it with the same reverence? I'm curious. I'm just thinking of like how you would even engage with a show like this anymore, given like the climate we're in and like what you know well, what I aspects think- of it we're seeing now. I think it's very telling that our version of this show now is Veep. Right. Is, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, that is what we have. Right. We're yeah. just like, yeah. Like, whatever. They're clowns. They're jokers, man. We've seen it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think I think that makes sense. And I've heard people who work in politics say that Veep is, like, the most accurate representation of what federal politics are like in Washington, D.C., at least. Well, then we need we need a more local version. That's what we need to do is we need to start glamorizing, you know, at the local level, because I think that's the thing, again, with everything Parts that's going rec. on in the world. Yeah, yeah, but that was different. But I think like, you know, I like kind of like, you know, uh, Nithya, let's like work on something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's, let's make let's make a show about you. Let's see. You know let's see I mean? what happens in November and November yeah, yeah. 4th, you know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then you'll be like, sorry, I really can't do that. I'm yeah. I'm a little tied up. Yeah. You know, Hopefully uh, I'll be tied up. Yeah. You're like. <laughs> I could do that. I could do your little podcast when I was candidate. You know, <laughs> it's not a really good look for me. <laughs> uh, Nithya, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, Where can people uh, find you, follow you, join your movement? 
nithyaforthecity.com, uh, or you can follow us on social media. We're really active on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Instagram and Facebook, we're Nithya for the City. And on Twitter, I'm it's my name, Nithya V. Raman, because I had the all-important blue check before yeah, we started yeah. this race. Woo. So we kept it on my name. Nice. Yeah, Nithya V. Raman. But if you just Google N-I-T-H-Y-A, I am the first Nithya that pops up now. So Boom. There you go. Yeah. Who are you in competition with? In this election? On that, on oh, oh, I'm Nithya. oh, <laughs> for the SEO. Oh, yeah. um, there's an Indian actress named Nithya Menon. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Yeah, who Someone was really beating me out. Still yeah. active? She's still an actress, yeah. And oh, okay. So she was beating you me out for a bit, but now, yeah. Not when you're making, not when you get those clicks from the City of Angels. That's right. And go. Hayes Davenport, who is a former guest on this show, works for your campaign, right? Uh, he's a volunteer. He's right. a volunteer. Josh Androsky, who is also a guest. Yeah. Who, uh, works on the, yeah, he works on the campaign. Nice. Yeah, uh, a lot of lot of good overlap between the campaign and the the wild world of podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> and comedians too. Like it's and just comedians, so funny yeah. how much like every it's like almost like if you're in comedy, like you know you know what time it is. It's nitty for the city. Like <laughs> it's just weird. You you got that demo locked in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah we really do. Um, <laughs> we really do, which I think is good. I mean, listen, how do you make local politics fun? Right. Yeah. It's got to put bring this, some comedians into it. Well, especially yeah. now, like, yeah, without, like, being able to do shows, like, people are kind of getting more in touch with uh, other other things. And I think it's great to see people get in touch with their humanity and duty to serve. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. And is there a tweet or some other act of social media you've been enjoying? Well, every I was just ta- talking about this with someone recently, but there's a really hilarious tweet that I think it was the L.A. County Department of Public Health put out or, or something, but it was like a lot of messages about COVID. It was like, social distance, it doesn't save lives, it saves life. And oh. then followed by a series of other <laughs> <laughs> other slogans. Nice. <laughs> I was like really spending that messaging consultant money here from LA County Department of Public Health. <laughs> uh, Miles, where can people find you and what's the tweet you've been enjoying? Twitter, Instagram, at Miles of Gray, and also my other podcast, 420 Day Fiance, talking about 90 Day Fiance, the trash hit with Sophia Alexandra. Um, let's see, some tweets that I like. Uh, first one is from at Mighty Monica, and she says, I don't know if you remember the MTV show True Life, uh, but her tweet is sort of like in this the construction of a True Life title. Hers is, True Life, my dad yelled at me for laughing at him when he said he was afraid of Antifa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one is from at Gwen Thomas 33 She says, my OnlyFans? You mean my parents? <laughs> <laughs> which is cutting because yeah some of our some of our parents are our greatest fans mm. uh and then the last one is from at cameron j awesome uh his is if america isn't racist why doesn't nikki haley use her real name mm. that is interesting yeah a lot of the times we have people out here like america is not a racist country but a lot of the times we've we've seen it with our own eyes the narnia of american racism um, Jared Goldstein tweeted, it's weird when a hot person likes the song Jolene. It's like, you're Jolene. Uh, <laughs> Dan Hopper tweeted a screen cap of a, I think it's from New York Magazine website. You've read your last free article. Join today. And he said, right before a, web, a website beats the shit out of you. Uh, <laughs> and then Dan Chamberlain tweeted, quite 
and then attributed that statement to a British man having an orgasm. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at the Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on, Miles. What are we riding out on today? Oh, uh, this is, you know, a hero. Is this this artist? I keep looking at all the work, uh, the body of work, and I'm liking everything. And there is an album, Cry Baby, where I shouted out a couple of songs from there. But this is the, uh, the titular track from the album Cry Baby. Cry Baby by Hero. Uh-huh. And again, it's just got that like very nice electro synthy vibes, but still it's got soul. It's just a great, it's just, yeah, it's threading many needles at once. And I love it. Yeah, people really feeling the, the hero ride out song. The hero ride out song. Mm-hmm. Heroes getting the TDZ bump. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for this morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.